anybody out there? Can anybody hear me? Greetings, I can hear you. Oh, there you are. Christian? Uh, that's me. Hey there, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, my name is Jaime Alejandro, and I'm really excited to get to talk to you today. And as I've noticed here in your, in your really awesome bio, you're a poet, musician, educator, a little bit of, a little bit of everything. And so I'm curious to, to see kind of how this started for you, this creative pursuit. You're from Tennessee, is that correct? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm originally from, from Louisiana, but uh, I mean, I've, I've been in Tennessee way long enough to, to claim it. <laughs> so you call it home? Uh, I, I, you know, I guess I, and maybe that's something we will talk about, uh, <laughs> later, but I, I went to college in, in Florida. I went to, to college in Tampa mm. and, uh, in many ways, I feel like more of a Floridian than I, I do a Tennessean. Um, but yeah, I think in, in a number of ways, this is home. So I don't, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, growing up in, in Florida then, and in that part of the, uh, of the country, what was it like for you? Well, I went to, uh, I went to Tampa, you know, I was, I was 18. Um, and it was, uh, it was an interesting change of pace. And, and it's one of those things that like in hindsight, I don't, I'm not sure if I would still make that same decision now. You mm -hmm. know, I, I, I graduated from high school in, uh, in Hickson, Tennessee. And, uh, I only applied to one, one college and that was the university of Tampa. And that's cause they, they offered me a, a writing scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I won this, this writing competition and, and, um, you know, I was like, ah, let's, let's see, you know, let's just see what, what this, let it play out. Be like, yeah, yeah. Let, let's have the adventure, right? So I did that, not knowing a soul, um, like ten hours away from home, you know. Oof, and yeah. uh, so I just, I just dove right in, and um, the first couple of months there were, were just really difficult. I mean, it's a complete adjustment in terms of, of people and the way that that they operate, and including like people from the institution. Mm -hmm. Um, like they weren't really that interested in a, in a number of things that I think now would be priorities. Like, um, one of my, uh, I was in a, in a triple originally and, um, one of my roommates was, uh, was racist mm -hmm. and, um, we, we brought that to the school's attention and they're like, you you guys are just going to have to work it out. It's like, what do you mean? Wow. <laughs> what do you <laughs> like mean? zero so, accountability from the institution. Right. Right. You know, um, and it wasn't until my, my sister called down there and told them that if they didn't do something immediately, she was going to get in touch with the NAACP. And then all of a sudden everything changed. They, they had a single room for me that I could stay in for a little bit. Mm -hmm. it, it was a game changer, but it, logistically speaking, it shouldn't have to come to that if somebody's like, hey, uh, we are adamantly opposed on everything, and this could result in one of us, you know, <laughs> for sure, have, for uh, sure. receiving bodily harm, but um, yeah, it, it, took me, it took me a long time to, to kind of get adjusted, but once I did, I mean, mm -hmm. it's like the, the whole city kind of opened up, and I, I love the, the culture, the different cultures, um, and I, I had a, an amazing experience, and um, it, actually, it was when I when I came back here. Um, I moved back to uh, to Tennessee in two thousand six, um, May of two thousand six, and I had culture shock for probably about six months, <laughs> like know, trying to acclimate again, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you knew you were going to be a writer at the time you set out to do to do this um, education at school down there, um, or was uh, writing something that you've always had with you? It. it was it was my primary pursuit mm. um like i knew i think pretty much from like the the age of 16 that i wanted to do writing on a professional level what um, did it for you what what was the did you have like a eureka moment or was it a gradual thing where you just started discovering things at that time yeah well it, it's <laughs> this is this is gonna sound wild <laughs> so i um i always enjoyed writing but i for most of my life up to that point had been interested in doing visual arts. You know, I, I, I was convinced I was going to go to, to SCAD and I was going to do, do art. And, um, so my, my first year of, of high school, uh, I had this huge crush on this, this girl who was a senior. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and if you're like 14, 15, unless you've just lived a very privileged life, I don't think that you have, you know, any game 
So <laughs> I was like, man, I, I got to figure out a, I got to figure out an angle here to, to kind of get me in What's the game. What's the strategy? And, uh, so yeah. So I, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, I know, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll start writing these poems. Um, so I started uh, studying Shakespeare's love sonnets. And then not too long after that, I got um, Yusuf Kamenyaka's Neon Vernacular uh, and the, the Listen Up anthology. Um, and at that same time, uh, I'm getting kind of like this, this more formal education uh, independently from school. Mm. Um, it was kind of like the, the second wave of like spoken word right kind of like appearing in, in really accessible ways like mm. you could um you could get nas's nostradamus album and hear jessica care more open and close the record you could hear ursula rucker on the the roots albums um you could hear saul williams pop up on different compilations and everything and then you know i think maybe like a year and a half maybe two years later you get the advent of hbo's deaf poetry so I kind of felt like I got this dual education, you know, and it was just purely like that era, that time, you know, and, um, and we're talking like nineties, right? We're talking like late nineties or, or, yeah, this is, uh, I started writing, um, seriously in 98. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, this is obviously like the, the internet's a thing, but it's not like as prevalent as obviously it, it is now, sure. but. Uh, I just got introduced to like this, this world beyond Chattanooga, you know, I'm like, oh man, mm -hmm. like I really would love to just be a part of, of this culture and to be able to do something along these lines. And I think that that planted a seed and I, um, I just continued to get affirmation from there and, and wanted to just, I think mm -hmm. I've always just been interested in seeing how far I could, I could take it. Yeah. And you had mentioned, I, I was uh, checking out the interview that you did for electric lit and you had mentioned that there was a, a visual artist named Mark Bradford who, thank you for uh, mentioning him because now I'm looking at, at some of his stuff that he's, you know, got in his website. Seems like a tremendously visual abstract painter with, with a lot to say. And um, in regards to this, this uh, poetry collection that you just have coming out, was that, was that an influence always or um, looking at the visual of something and, and trying to, to see if you can weave it into what you're creating on paper? I don't think it was something that I consciously set out for. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always of the belief that, that we as, as artists period, but kind of chiseling down to solely speak, uh, about poets, you know, our, our, our senses really help us record the world, you know? And, um, I think that, incorporating the the different things that you hear the different things that you see um i think that it it, it can give you different avenues to to enter into work mm. um and and bring in different different flavors to that work you know I'm, I'm one of the things i'm, I'm really interested in and I, I we had to cut a couple of things from the the chat book um but there are there are some epigraphs from like mob deep and and there uh there's like a, a cento uh, using all Biggie Smalls um, lyrics, mm. you know, so I'm, I'm, I think the past maybe three, four years, I've been really interested in just kind of incorporating the different cultures and the different things that have um, both inspired and helped uh, mold me into to what yeah. I am. And, yeah. and obviously the, the visual component is, is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. So with the gleaming of the blade, as, as I've read sort of the, uh, the synopses of, of the work, uh, it, it strikes me as an, a supremely personal um, account, but at the same time, you're you're sharing some thoughts about where you come from as as a whole. So I'm I'm curious how you strike a balance between the personal and and the macro of it. Do you do you think about the the larger implication as you're writing these works? Um, I I well I do. Um, I think that. Um, the i think kind of the, the driving force of of the chat book is examining the different ways that the black body is both seen and unseen mm. and um i wanted i'm a big fan of of texture and and layers and i wanted to talk about in in some cases uh the city, you know, Chattanooga, but also uh -huh. like the region and then the country at large. Right. So mm -hmm. 
because I feel like you can't if you're if you're delving into work that that is focusing on race, you really can't separate that from the macro, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it might look a little bit different from from place to place and region to region, but but race is race like money has its hands in, in many different arenas. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, the, the, the personal is always is also uh, political um, because what what impacts you on a personal level, you know, chances are nine times out of ten, it also impacts somebody else on a personal level. But, mm. you know, I think that if you really kind of take account, it also impacts a great number of people <laughs> on, on that level. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. Um, I, w- I was also reading about the the horror aspect of of the collection and the the imagery related to to a lot of uh, I don't want to say like horror movies, but there were some mention of that. Could you elaborate a little bit on on what part that plays in the collection? Sure. Yeah. I um a couple of years ago, um, and it, it must have been around either Halloween or or some Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, wherever that fell during the year, but mm-hmm. um, there's a, a Friday the Thirteenth marathon on, and the uh, the eighth film was on, which is Jason Takes Manhattan. Mm. And um, just as a as a joke, and I've seen that that movie so many times, but just because <laughs> of as, as a joke, I, I I put it out on social media. I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start start writing poems about the black characters in horror films. Mm. And not too long after that, I was actually doing that. And I was like, man, I really kind of like the way that this is moving. It's taking some interesting turns and everything. Mm. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe this can be a thing, you know? And I, I like, and now I have maybe, I think four, um, I've got a couple of, of horror poems in the book. There's a, there's one in the voice of, of Candyman and there's the elegy to Julius Gall, who is the, uh, the lone black character in, uh, Jason takes Manhattan. But um, I enjoy it because it gives me a different lens uh, to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, um, the Julius Gall poem allows me to talk about um, the death of, of black men in America mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a way that you probably would not anticipate just on face value. Yeah. Um, Candyman is, is a persona poem and it allows me to kind of step into the, the voice of, of Daniel Robitaille and talk about how, you know, his really his only crime was um, having a relationship with somebody that society said that he should not have a relationship with. And then they ended up, you know, transforming him into this this supernatural monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are certain parallels that you, you definitely um, can see at work. Uh, today, I mean, we're in the the age of uh, the distortion of of critical race theory, and and you know the the witch hunt and and book banning and everything like that. This mm-hmm. is the same emotion behind that. And granted, this you know one is a work of fiction, um, but that's the same energy that led to the creation of of the Candyman, right? Yeah. So, what I enjoy about horror in general is that I feel like when it when it's at its peak, when it works best is it in some way shows us as society how different different things about ourselves that maybe we're not always cognizant of mm-hmm. um and i think that a lot of times we see the ways in which we are monstrous you know right um oh yeah, go, go ahead. ahead yeah no i was, I was just going to say it's just a remarkable vehicle to expose truth right to to share something with with the right kind of metaphor uh to actually not not to say make it palatable for for an audience, but it's just like a way to really get a point across with more than just the message. Here's a a visual or a metaphor or an image that will allow you to understand the plight of this group of people. Do you think that that kind of trauma needs to be shared and exposed through poetry and, and the arts to try to make sense of, of what's going on? Yeah, well, I would argue that, you know, it always has in, in America. Mm. You know, I think that um, the the songs that um, African peoples were, were singing uh, in Africa uh, mm. changed when, when they hit these shores, right? And mm. um, I think that they became a way to kind of um, lament and to try to carry some of the traditions with them and then you know, obviously over time, I think that that thing changed to, you know, 
encapsulate a, a much different experience. But I think that if if you if you look at the nature of the blues, you know, the, the, the blues is often derived from from hardship, mm. um, but is used to, you know, speak about these different things and to interrogate them in different ways. And, and uh, I think the same thing uh, holds true for a lot of jazz and, and definitely yeah. it's present in, in hip hop culture, too. So mm-hmm. I think that if you if you look at uh, black American art, period. I think that you always find that trauma there because it's mm. it's so in, embedded in our experience. And I think that even even if um, if you're a visual artist, a black visual artist, and you you know it it it's just a wall full of polka dots. I think that invariably at some point the conversation becomes, why did you choose not to focus on race? Like so, even even when it's not <laughs> yeah. in it's it's not in the context, it's in the context. Absolutely. And um, I think that that's something that is is not necessarily unique amongst um you know ethnic people mm-hmm. but it's it's something that largely excludes um white people right like mm-hmm. jackson pollock can just you know do his artworks on on the floor and right. then race never factors in nobody's ever like well how does this tie back to you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ab- absolutely uh i mean there's but, um, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was, I mean, it's just going to say like, you know, you mentioned uh, Mark Bradford, who was one of my heroes, but you know, Mark Bradford's like, I'm a, I just want to do abstract uh, work. And then people are like, well, what's your relationship to like other black abstract art? You know, like, so it, yeah, it's always something yeah. that, that ends up tying back to like your identity. And I think inherent in that identity, like mm-hmm. different, different traumas and, and different hurdles along the way. Yeah. So do you normally feel like, there is a responsibility in the work or do you just let it exist and and we let those kinds of of experiences be a trauma or or just a past conflict or or just whatever emotion you've experienced in the past be channeled without an intellectual approach or how does that work for you i don't consciously think about it for the most part and Mm -hmm. i don't um my, my writing process changed actually as a, as a result of, of Mark Bradford. Mm-hmm. Um, my writing process changed probably about three years ago now. And uh, I don't, I don't write in a linear fashion. Um, so I, I never write with any intention. You know, I'm not like, Oh, this is, this is the love poem. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm mainly now just interested in, in putting interesting, interesting text on, on the page. And, um, at some point in time, I'll start moving different things around and building different connections that way. And um, then, you know, at some point in time, something will kind of speak to me and it, it'll end up having, like, you know, just, just some space that I can kind of step inside and, and explore. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm, I'm chasing something and it ends up being about, you know, these different things. Um, so it's not something that I really consciously think about. Um, with with the chapbook, I knew after a, a while of just kind of pulling out different poems and looking at them in, in context that race was a lens. Um, it was it was a unifying theme for a lot of the work, but also I think probably just as importantly is is intimacy. You know, because mm. um, I, I I always look at the way that I, I work in in poetry like I am a a film director and I am behind the camera and I am crafting the shot for the audience mm-hmm. so i want to put regardless if i'm talking about you know just just two kids running around in a field full of daisies mm-hmm. i want to put you in the driver's seat where you can actually feel those daisies going past you at your legs as you're running and you can you can smell you know the, the air and, and feel the season upon you i want to put you that close to the action yeah that you have that kind of experience and um so I think obviously with your, if your lens is race, you know, I want to, I want to bring you as close to that tension and that danger and everything as I can. Um, and, and the work that's in my, my full length manuscript, you know, it's much different. I'm interrogating, you know, ghosts and, and our relationship to ghosts and the different ways that, that we right. are and have been ghosts. So the, the lens is a little bit different, but, uh, the, the objective of still just providing it an intimate, um, framework, uh, is still there. Mm. Yeah. 
So you you reminded me of something uh, again from the uh, from the interview that you did uh, for Electric Lit, where you you said something uh, in in terms of what happens to the body after the spirit vacates it. I think that's such a powerful image moment that that really kind of sends the mind spinning and, and thinking about how to piece that together. Um, what do you what does that mean to you? What what do you mean by that? I'm I'm always fascinated with. Uh, and I think I have been really since uh, really since high school. Um, I'm always interested in the body. I'm interested in what happens to the body. I'm interested in, in uh, the way that the body uh, changes and, and the history that the body holds on to. Um, you know, they I, I read something some years ago saying that um, you can actually pass trauma through uh, DNA. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, that's such a fascinating thing, you know? And, yeah, um, yeah. But I think that the older I get in the way that my relationship to my own body has, has evolved. Um, you know, I've really, so actually let me back up a little bit. So sure. I, I mentioned my, my manuscript, uh, my full length manuscript. And, you know, if you're talking about ghosts, uh, you, at some point in time, you've, you've got to look at and, and kind of analyze death. Um, my relationship to that work changed astronomically in the advent of of the pandemic mm. and uh i've not stopped thinking about death in general or my own death like on a daily basis ever since and um that has added a, a different context to the poems and also you know from october of, of 2019 i lost like seven people in my family oh you i'm know? sorry to hear that and I've, I've lost more outside of that. So I'm always thinking about death and I'm thinking about, you know, how can I talk to, you know, these people who are no longer here. And I'm, I'm always interrogating like the legacies that they've left behind. And I think that that's one of those things that gets imparted upon the bodies is um, we carry so many histories with us. Mm. And all of these different things and all of these different voices and everything, they, they you know, they guide us whether or not we're, we're conscious of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that one of the things I'm most interested in doing in my work is, is trying to honor that and honor those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe on the other side of that, come to some sort of, I don't know, good place with no longer really being here in a physical way. I think maybe that's yeah. kind of what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm writing to try to understand this thing that is coming for me, regardless of how I feel about it. Right. And right. really just trying to arrive at a, at a place of peace about it. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, obviously one of the big questions in life, but it, it feels like there is a tremendous sense of spirituality in the writing that you do sort of trying to make sense of the, of the big question there. Um, do you feel that way? Do you, do you feel like it's more akin of a spiritual pursuit? um when when you write poetry uh to a certain degree i do mm. um i used to watch um super soul sunday from uh, from oprah <laughs> um and uh, she has an episode with the actor rain wilson and, and rain wilson says um the an artist being immersed in in their art uh is kind of akin to an act of prayer Mm. and i was like man that, that's oh, a really man. interesting way to yeah you know it's just an interesting way to kind of look at it and i think that i um i do a number of things that are are, are kind of bringing the the spirit in uh to my work like all the time mm. and I, I do that for a number of reasons and, and you know i mentioned that i i like to kind of talk to uh the dead in in my work a lot uh-huh. and uh but also, I um, I talk to God a lot in my work, and I bring God and and, and spiritual things into my work uh, for a couple of reasons. But um, I think that you once you get into the the supernatural and, and magical, and uh, you know, I consider prayer a, a supernatural and both very natural act. You know, you're actually talking to an entity that is not here, and and you know, is is as far as we as human beings can can see and, and tell and feel um i think that that's once let me think of the, the best way to say it when when whenever you do that whenever you are incorporating those things into your one's work 
they give you access and permission to go wherever you want, you know? So if I'm talking to somebody who's, who's passed on, be somebody who's passed on at any point in time. So that, that allows me to time travel. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, if I am, am talking to God, then the, the parameters of, of time and kind of logical understanding don't really exist because we're, we're in a plane that we don't really have access to. So mm -hmm. I like having that ability and that, that flexibility, and it allows me to write into uh, surprise, but also it allows me to kind of write into discovery um, in terms of figuring out like what I want to say or what my speaker in a, in a particular piece wants to say. And I think that that's a, that's a neat avenue. Mm, right. Right. So as a, as an educator, you, you mentioned that, um, or actually I'm, I'm I was kind of <laughs> looking at a, a lot of different links here and I was curious about the plug poetry project. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what that entails, what that is? Sure. Um, so a couple of years ago, I, I started an arts initiative called the plug poetry project. Um, it started out as a, a six-part docu-series um, showcasing some of uh, Chattanooga's poets uh, while they're here. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in kind of giving people their, their flowers while they're present to receive them. Mm. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I started the, the reading series um, where I would bring a, a poet to town to do a, a free workshop for the community. I didn't want finance to, to be any barrier from presenting, preventing people from coming and, and learning about this, this craft that I love so much. Mm. Um, and then later on that evening, um, they would do a featured reading and um, a Chattanooga poet would open for them. Um, so I've, I've brought um, Julian Randall, I brought Jericho Brown, and I brought Jose Olivares. And then the pandemic happened. So we've, we've been oh. on hold with that, but we've, we've pivoted. And um, I started doing uh, virtual open mics um, not just as a way to kind of keep people, you know, in, in the workshop working, but as a way to kind of build and, and cultivate uh, community, um, especially, you know, early on in the pandemic when everything kind of felt groundless. Mm. I wanted to allow people to kind of have an opportunity to, you know, not yet yeah, doing poems. That's great. But also to say, like, I am not OK and I need a little bit of help. Is there anything yeah. that you guys can do? And. I think that that is, is so vital and um, it's, it's been something that I've really enjoyed, not just, you know, putting together, but actually participating in and the, the energy is always fantastic. The, the voices are always interesting. And um, I think that even, you know, hopefully the, you know, the pandemic will, will come to uh, an end <laughs> relatively <laughs> soon. But I think even if we return to some aspect of, of, normalcy which i don't really know what that looks like at this point but i think that that's something that i would like to continue because it also has allowed us to operate in a in a borderless space the last open mic we had we had people from three different time zones in it oh you know? that's amazing and um why would you want to give that up you know it, it's just an it, it's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's a beautiful way to uh to just communicate across the board and, and i really enjoy that but mm -hmm. and aside from that you know i i shoot different opportunities out uh for um, submissions and residencies, fellowships, things like that, because I want to cheerlead for people too. Like I've, I've, I feel like I've been stunningly blessed and fortunate in what poetry has allowed me to do. And if I can help somebody else, you know, along their path to do any of the things that I've, I've been blessed to do, you know, why not? I think that that would be great, a great way to kind of share in the gift. Oh, that's just remarkable. Do you, by any chance, have any moments that stick out? as you've prepared these workshops or worked with uh, young poets or people who are just getting into the craft, a good moment where you learned something from, uh, from that situation? Uh, yeah, I, I have several. Um, <laughs> I did, um, I've, I've taught a, a workshop for teenagers called Manifest Voices. Um, I started in 2016 and my last year was 2019 because obviously world changed <laughs> thereafter but um during the first workshop and and during during the first class and i, I do this each time i i tell the, the students to, to look around the room this is your new family and you know initially because it's you know it's teenagers and they don't really trust you and and mm. they're, they haven't given themselves over to the process yet which which makes sense it's understandable um they kind of scoff and roll their eyes at you but <laughs> 
the way that I, I angled the workshop and I, I teach them how to, uh, one of the things I teach them to do is to um, read poems and to be able to analyze poems. And then, and then we discuss, you know, and that's from poems that we read that I bring in. You know, here's this poem by Henry from Derrick Heap. Here's a Terrence Hayes poem. Here's Sharon Olds, but also with their own work. You know, so when we're talking about, well, I really like how you do this, but what if you did this and everything? And by the time we get to the, you know, the, the penultimate workshop, um, I, I left the room. I, I was like, oh, I've got to I got to do this thing real quick. And really, I'm just, you know. I'm just eavesdropping. So I, I walk out of the room and I walk to where some of the parents were sitting and uh, I sit down with one and I was like, they have it down so much right now. They don't actually need me to help facilitate. Mm. They've got it, you know? <laughs> and I think that that's a beautiful thing that not only do you, ha you have these kids who are, are stepping more into um, their own voices and to, um, you know, trying different things with their works, but they, they trust the people sitting across from them enough to, you know, kind of have that, that community experience. Like mm -hmm. I, tr I trust what you're saying um, to help make this thing better. And here's, here's how I can extend the same thing to you. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's a really beautiful thing. And um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so many moments where like, I, I pride myself on not really being emotional. You know, I'm, I'm a very staunch Scorpio, <laughs> but there, there are several moments where I got close to, to weeping a little bit, you know? Oh man, that's, that's incredible. That's uh, just wonderful to see because the, you know, as, as we've said, the community needs help sometimes. Um, it's almost like you have to offer language opportunities, right? To, to, to process the emotional weight of something. And it seems like for some, some kids, some of that is effortless, right? And they get that beaten out of them by the, uh, the system or community or society or whatever it is. Um, but it's kind of a nice reminder to see that, uh, you're able to impact so many people that way. Can you tell me about the Between Beauty and Bedlam album? Uh, as we mentioned, you're also a musician and I'm very, very fascinated by that process too. And, uh, just curious how that particular project came together or how um that that part of your life has uh, unfolded sure uh yeah i um i i started producing music in in geez it'll be 20 years this year tw uh, 2002 <laughs> and um so while i was in tampa i i started uh making hip-hop beats and i was, I was mm -hmm. doing like some electronic beats and everything and um when i i moved back to chattanooga i was djing and i started producing for a, a hip-hop crew and so I've always made music, but I've, I've never, I've, I've rarely been able to find that ratio where I could just make music and then have my own voice mm. work with it. Um, it's like two different parts of the brain or, or something. I don't know. But um, so at the end of 2012, um, I, I just thought, I was like, you know, I really, this is it. This is, this is like make or break time. You know, I'm, I'm tired of kind of like getting in the workshop and like, ah, I really, I don't know. <laughs> I want to I want to force myself to do to make something from start to finish with my own voice, my own name on it. And um, that's kind of where, where the idea for, for Between Beauty and Bellum came about. And I was like, I just want to do nothing crazy. I want to do just like something really succinct, maybe six, maybe six tracks. Mm. And um, right after that, maybe like uh, a week or two later, you know, I had maybe three, three, three different demos ready to go. and and started started laying them down and um i was like man this is this is you know this apparently seems to be the the right move mm -hmm. and um i i love that project in a number of ways like the, the the only thing that i really don't like about it is like my my studio has changed so much and i feel like i've become so much more of an adept mm -hmm. uh producer yeah that i some of those things i wish i could just go back and, and remix and i don't i don't have the uh the, the the vocals or anything to work with but um which I, I think that that's a good thing that that means that that you have grown in your craft and, and you're better you know like yeah i don't want to be 10 years out from now being like you know this thing that's it still the <laughs> pinnacle but um it that 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 record allowed me to bring so much of my life at that point like during that year uh during really 2012 into the work and that i think was something that i just personally needed Mm. and um 
but it had it had so many great and beautiful um benefits uh, that emerged from that when i was doing the record live you know i had like a band with, with one of my best friends mm. um i had a, a dj um i had a, a violinist and you know and it was so we were a really unique package live and and i think that we were really good live and um so that that whole period was just really beautiful and um I would I would like to come back to it at some point in time. Actually, last year I've I've been working on on music for like the past well, so last year like the past like seven years, and I've been sitting on so many things just because I'm I'm a I'm a perfectionist, and I'm like I want this to sound a certain way, and I can't I yeah. can't quite get it there. Um, but I, I lost the I lost the flash drive with all of that stuff on there. Oh no! So I've lost seven years worth of like. Oh oodles upon oodles of, of of gigs of of uh material so oh goodness i don't know maybe that's a sign but um no i yeah, think it's a so test it's a test <laughs> <laughs> are you are you resilient will you come back from it i know you will but that's that's heartbreaking i'm sorry to hear that um but it, it seems like you know you have those moments that become watershed things in your timeline right where you look at I'm, I've amassed all this stuff, all these skills in the toolkit. I'm going to put it into, into use, into effect. And so you, it seems like you put everything you had at that point in time into the work uh, because you, you mentioned, you know, there's spoken word in there. There's the musical aspect of it, the production part of it and, and juggling all those things. I imagine you walked away with so much, I mean, so much knowledge. Um, do you feel that spoken word is is at the focal point of of what you do like the the thing that binds all of these things together you know i don't really consider it like spoken word and um like i i consider what i do like poetry because mm -hmm. i mean for, for okay. a number of reasons like one like i well one um spoken language is like way older than written language right so mm -hmm if we operate with that understanding like is is homer a spoken word artist you know like um <laughs> and i think that yeah yeah and i <laughs> i think that like <laughs> i think that in my life at least um whenever somebody's been like hey you're a spoken word guy mm -hmm. it's a way to kind of just look at, at me and say oh this is like a black guy who looks like he's very much into hip-hop and he oh, likes doing like okay so it, it eschews any formal training or experience that that I have in the craft, and I see. Um, but I think that you know there are there are four different temperaments in in poems. You know, you've you've got story, structure, imagery, and or imagination and music. And if you, I mean, if you look at Nikki Giovanni's work, it's very musical. You know, um, if you were to look at Amiri Baraka's work, it's very musical. Um, Bob Kaufman, a lot of the, the, the beats, it's very musical. And I think that incorporating music and incorporating one's culture um, is super duper old. You know, that, that's mm -hmm. an old aesthetic. This is what has people have done with, with poems and everything for a very, very long time. And um, I just think that it, it's it's hard when when people kind of categorize what you do rather than like ask you the way that you see yourself in what you do right and yeah, um yeah i think that a lot of times people are like hey this is like a spoken word artist or like like um hanif Keep is a spoken word so yeah i mean yeah like hanif has done slams but like mm -hmm. hanif also is a professional writer and hanif, yeah, <laughs> hanif has yeah. like not only like put out you know books that buddies put out books that have like received liter hardcore literary awards so where does the line between spoken word and anything else in and i also think that like you know what's the difference between like a spoken word you know poet and uh, and a comedian right we, yeah. we tend to work in the same venues we work in the same fashion largely without paper mm -hmm. one microphone in front of uh giving something to an audience and then they respond in a certain way and then we do a different thing and so what are is there like is there a spoken word comedian like what are what are the yeah. parameters exactly and I've, I've never understood like where the lines are in terms mm -hmm. of how we see you know spoken word yeah and i, so, I appreciate that because you know it, it's fairly eye-opening for me just the way that you phrase that because it is fairly reductive and it is 
sort of a, a label that I hadn't really considered before. So I, I appreciate that. But you're right, because when when you come to performance, I mean, there's it's it's the same thing, but not right. And so mm-hmm. there's there's no way to categorize somebody whose whose interest or maybe primary drive is to make that connection in person with an existing audience. And that is more than just spoken word or more than just one thing. Um, but that, that leaves me a lot to think about there in terms of spoken word and what that means. I might have to be doing some homework here. <laughs> soon. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, well, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like, like just to answer your question, I think that, you know, poetry is, poetry is definitely a hub for, um, for, for me and the other things that I do. I think that, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's neck and neck between with, with poetry and just music. Mm. Um, but I mean, I think that I'm getting to the point where I just kind of see them as, as a part of the same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are, those are definitely like the, the nucleus. Mm. No, that's, that's incredible. Uh, I, I meant to ask you this, um, earlier, so I apologize for, for going back and back and back in time, but did you ever feel like family was supporting you a hundred percent of the time, pursuing your, your art, pursuing your craft and, and being involved? um to such degree with with all of these creative projects absolutely um Mm. my my family has never tried to dictate what uh any of my siblings are are i do um and i think that that, that's so great you know Mm. um because there's that free yeah well there's a there's a lot of freedom you know Mm. i don't have to follow in anybody's footsteps i don't have to you know I, I'm under no no pressure to go and, and become a doctor, you know. I and I think that I am. Um, I think that I'm I'm a I'm a pretty rare bird because like you know it's that way. Before I even left high school, I knew I like I want to do this thing. Yeah. So I've I've been on a very particular path, um, and that's not to say that like my my parents like have understood everything. <laughs> You know, a lot of times I'll be like, uh, I'll, I'll tell my mother like, oh, I just got, I just got this grant or like, we've got this happening and, you know, and then she's just, is kind of like, well, are they paying you? Oh, yeah. Like, we're gonna, <laughs> you can pay for this. Oh, okay. Like, you know, yeah. so, but, um, and it's funny cause like I, I've spent a lot of time on the road and, um, like my mom would always be like, well, just make sure that you bring somebody with you. I'm like, well, mom, I just can't. <laughs> there are not that many people I can call, but like, hey, like you want to go on like a, a, a quick like mini tour, you know, like yeah. So, um, but no, they they've always been supportive, and um, my mom is is one of my my biggest cheerleaders now, and mm-hmm. um, you know it, it's it's great. Um, I think that is is cool because it's it's so. Yeah, you know, my my parents like were really big into like 60s and 70s things motown uh, my mm-hmm. dad actually had the uh, the last poets first record you know on vinyl um so this isn't like completely out of their wheelhouse yeah but it it is pretty much like my thing you know like <laughs> they're not like hey let me give you some pointers on no it's it's this right. is my my thing and um i think that it's it's been great just to kind of see you know the, the way that uh you know, the, the past couple of years have been like really phenomenal for me and just to kind of see the different things come about and, and to be able to share those things with them. Oh yeah. You know, that, that's been great for all of us. No, that just, that sounds like a phenomenal relationship with them and, and, uh, that they do back you up and, uh, and help you out there quite a bit. And I, I wanted to ask you a, a couple more things, you know, about the, the touring life or, you know, doing the kind of performance oriented things, but I want to be respectful of your time. I'm going to ask you two more questions. No, um, you can but, ask, ask whatever you want. I'm, I'm all yours. <laughs> um, but, uh, what is something that is really inspiring you right now? Works that have really striking a nerve, uh, for you that, that you might want to share. Yeah, I am, uh, I'm really, really into, uh, Kaisi Lehman's work. Uh, he, um, is, is a black writer from, from Mississippi. Um, he has a, a best-selling uh, memoir called Heavy that is, is you know, being banned in, in schools across the country. Mm. Um, I, I, and I've, he's been on my radar for a while, but this is the first time I've just, like, gone complete deep dive into, to, you know, every podcast episode that he's done, you know, all the YouTube videos. I, I just finished reading um, his essay collection, and I'm about to work my way through, through Heavy now. Mm. But, um, 
I, I love all of it. I love the way that his mind works and he feels, and I was just telling my wife this the other day, I was like, he feels to me like some, someone who, like, you know, there, I guess maybe there's the saying that like you, sometimes you meet people and it's like, you've known each other before, uh-huh. like before you've met, he feels like that to me. He feels like somebody that we prior to the pandemic would be, you know, getting together to chop it up and, and talk about life and, and have a couple of drinks, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, his work is giving me permission to talk about different things in my work and just to be more honest. Um, Cause I mean, there are a lot of things that happen that I encounter that kind of frustrate me or, or whatever. And I don't say anything mm-hmm. um, for, for whatever reason, you know? And um, so seeing his, his work and, and reading it is giving me permission, but you know, you, you don't have to carry those things. And I guess maybe this kind of echoes back to you know, what we talked about trauma. I think that a lot of times things happen and the people who are responsible for, for kind of bringing those harsh things your way, they move on with their life. Like to you, this was like a defining moment. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're forced as the aggrieved party are forced to carry the emotional cargo of it to that other person. This is just Thursday, you know? <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, the older I get and, you know, I, I want to unburden myself. I want to, I want to reduce my stress as much as possible so that I can have a, a good, hopefully healthy life with my wife and, and the family that we hope to, to build. Mm. And I, I don't think that I can necessarily do that to the best of my ability if I am still really harmed by this thing that happened X amount of days or, or years or whatever ago. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in kind of stepping into that space and just being more honest. And I think that there are probably some essays that, that I'll be writing as a result of, of this. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that's been a central, uh, central point of inspiration. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to get that, that link from you so I can put it in the podcast description too, along with all of your, your other amazing works, especially the new, uh, the new chat book, the gleaming of the blade. And lastly, I I've been trying to rethink this question because initially it became a question of why do we need the arts more than ever? And, and I, that kind of stumps people sometimes because it's such a generic question, but I think I'm just. I, that's kind of my go-to because I, I feel like I need to think in romanticized terms a lot of the time to, to get myself, you know, out of bed in the morning and, and feeling like I need a pep talk. But, um, I, I want to ask it in such a way, um, for you in, in this case, um, what have the arts done for you in, in terms of your quality of life in the way that you have carved this path for you? What have the arts given you in particular, what your specialties are? Mm. Um, the arts have given me so many different things. I mean, I, I could say that the arts have given me a life, you know, um, if I were to rewind the clock back to when I was like 15 or 16, and if, if I could tell that version of myself, like, Hey, you know, by the way, like in, you know, 20, 21 years, you'll, you know, have won some awards, you've gotten you know, a, a chapbook published, you got a query from one of your dream presses for like another thing, you're, you're, you know, all of these things have happened. Um, I don't know if that, that version of me would really kind of believe it, you know? Mm. Um, but the, the arts have definitely provided a way for me to, to see and make sense of the world, uh, to see my, my place in it, to imagine greater for myself and, and uh, my community, uh, and even my family. Um, the arts uh, have allowed me uh, in different capacities to feel less alone, um, to build lineages. Um, the arts have allowed me in the past couple of years to um, be able to, to reach out and, and have um, a number of conversations with, with people that I never would have thought that would, would be possible. Um, so yeah, I think that the, the arts to, uh, the arts are vital because they do all of those things because they 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 don't have to speak ab- you know about uh, the human experience, but they are so in- informed by the human experience that mm. that ends up happening a lot of the time, regardless of, of medium. And uh, I don't think that there are too many other things that that can do that. You know, I don't think <laughs> that politics definitely does that. Um, so I think it's, it's one of those arenas that, that kind of unites all parts of the self. Um, and I mean, they're, they're so vital just because I mean, even if you just remove like the, the, the art 
from it and just look at the response beyond the art. You know, like people have been have been jailed over over like songs and poems. You know, you think about um, mm. Pablo Neruda, you know, being exiled and, you know, Femi Kuti um, in, in Africa. Um, at the, the very beginning of, of this century, you know, Amiri Baraka writes, uh, somebody blew up America and there's, there's all of this, this uproar. Mm-hmm. Um, so to think that a poem, a poem in a particular moment in a particular era, um, can cause that kind of fervor. You know, I think if, if we ever need a testament to, to what the arts can do, I mean, <laughs> you know, a, a poem can garner the, the ire of, of a nation. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's such an integral thing there. I mean, it's something that is, is so vast and, and unique and um, the, the arts can do so many different things, you know. Well, that's a wonderful note to end on, Christian. And while I, I know that we're just scratching the surface on all these amazing things that, you, that you've done and, and achieved, I want to thank you for your time for your uh your insights and for all of the work that you've been doing for your community and of course your craft and and all that you keep doing so i i really appreciate it and uh i hope that uh, we get to talk a little bit more down the road and pick up where we left off i i thank you for your time sir oh absolutely thank you so much this was big fun